Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 296. I'm here alongside my virtual co-host, Amanda Powell. We're in Austin, Texas. How are you, Amanda? Oh, doing good. I think we're officially thawed out. It is Sunday and 75 today, so feeling warm and toasty. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. Yeah. Actually, our guest here probably has colder temperatures than you, probably for once. Well, I'm in the Boston area. He's in the Burlington area, mm-hmm. Burlington, Vermont, one of my favorite towns. Spent about two weeks up there this past summer. Pretty excited to have this guy on Perpetual Traffic because we're going to be talking about some things here, different ways of marketing, especially the B2B that I don't think we've ever discussed on this podcast ever in nearly 300 episodes. So it's cool when you can bring a really fresh angle to something that we're all passionate about here, which is online marketing and marketing in general. We've got Dave Gearhart here today. He's the CMO at Privy, which by the way, is the number one sales app on Shopify And he also did the marketing at Drift for four plus years and really grew that into a powerhouse and uh, has taken that expertise over to the good folks over at Privy. We're going to be talking a little bit about his experience with Drift and how he was able to do that in a really crowded market as well as how he's been able to learn how to do the same sorts of things and where he's at right now with Privy. So Dave Gearhart, welcome to Perpetual Traffic. Yep. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about how, you, you, you know, your career in general, you've got a lot of things that you're doing right now. You also have a B2B marketing leaders podcast and you created the DGMG group, which is a bunch of marketers that you share ideas with, especially when it comes to B2B. So this is obviously an area of expertise for you, but tell us a little bit about your time at Drift and how you got involved with those guys and how you're able to really turn them into a household name, <laughs> I'd say. A yeah. Real household name. So the team there is, is, is amazing. I'm just lucky to have been a part of it. But like for me, I joined the company probably the inside the 10 or 11, 12 employees, who knows, something like that. First full-time marketing person. And before that, I had worked at HubSpot and I was at HubSpot. I was doing their growth show podcast at the time. I just had this like itch where I was doing marketing in this role, but I, I knew that I wanted to do more. I wanted to kind of do all of the parts of marketing. I wanted to touch a little bit of everything because I had a, a side project of mine uh, on the side where I launched my own podcast. And I, I, had, I was like, I had a website for it. I was selling sponsorships. I had built an, an email list. And so I felt like I was in this role at HubSpot where I was a podcast person, but I wanted to like run marketing. So for my podcast, 
this is a cool story. For my podcast, I did an interview with the CEO of Drift, David Cancel. I, I had a podcast called Tech in Boston where I interviewed founders in Boston and I had him on the show. And he was always like, I knew who he was, but up until then he was this very like mysterious guy. He didn't do a lot of press. And so I finally got him on my podcast. And the next day I'm like writing up the show notes for the show and I go to their website and I see that they're hiring a marketing person. And I'm like, wait a second this guy that I just hit it off with yesterday, we were like riffing on, you know, business and marketing. I'm like, now he has a marketing position open at his company. I got to apply. And I sent my name in and I immediately got a rejection letter because they were like, oh, we had already <laughs> filled this. This position's already, this position's already been filled. But then the next day I get an email from the same person who rejected me. And he says, Hey, actually David wants you to come in tomorrow. Can you come in? I was like, <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So I came in, <laughs> came in, met, met with David, met with Elias, the two founders. We spent a bunch of time together. And I remember that they were, I was going on my honeymoon. They were like, you know what, go on your honeymoon, come back and, and we'll make an offer. And I was like, no way. Like you guys are two well-known founders. You raised $15 million before you really have a product out there yet. You're going to find someone in between the next two weeks. Like if you want, if you want me to, we, we got to do this today. And I had no leverage. I just was like some young kid trying to land a, a marketing job. And so I got that job and I was there early. And because I was there early, I was able to be the first person, you know, starting the blog for, for Drift, starting the podcast, mm -hmm. building the email list, doing content, doing events. And I kind of just like parlayed that experience to continue to grow as fast as the company was growing. And so I went from individual contributor to director of marketing with the, you know, three to five person team to VP of marketing with a 20, 25 person team at the end of uh, a little bit over four years. And that was really where I got my like, super masters. I'm not even going to give it, I'm going to give it more credit than a master's degree. I'm going to call my super <laughs> masters. That's where I got my super masters in, in marketing. And that's the thing that kind of changed my marketing career. And now uh, I'm CMO of Privy, which is a much different company in that they're focused on e-commerce. And I have a marketing team of six, seven people. And that's super because my strength as a marketer is like, I, I like to do, I like to lead the marketing team and do them and set the marketing strategy and manage the team and, and all that stuff. But I really love marketing. Like I love writing the headline, writing the email. And so uh, I, I get to kind of scratch both of those itches at, at this company in this role. So at Drift, like what was the strategy? I mean, the founder strategy, obviously you, you got the interview, you interviewed him first, really. And then he interviewed you and then you got the job. <laughs> But, you know, they're just yet another software in a sea of softwares. Like what was, what was the trick to, mm -hmm. not necessarily trick, but what was the strategy that was different and mm -hmm. the types of things that you've been able to now transfer over to Privy? Well, I think, I think number one was like, number one was awareness. Founders, the founders had this awareness of, we are not the only product on planet earth that can do this. And, and so they were very, I think like to be good at marketing, you have to have context of where you're trying to play. And so they were very clear about, look, we're one of 10,000 sales and marketing tools in this like MarTech landscape. The way that we're going to win is by building a brand. And that was like, believe it or not, a unique strategy in B2B SaaS at the time, which is like leading through brand. And so we really focus on storytelling, on, on finding that wedge to the market, which was, look, we created this, ultimately the, the product at the time was about connecting website visitors directly with the sales team, as opposed to having to like fill out a 15 step lead form on somebody's website, wait five days to hear back, then deal with endless follow-up. And it was this miserable process. And so 
we came out and we said, look, we're not going to do gated content anymore. We're not going to do lead form. We're not going to use lead forms anymore. And we created this content that was not about our product at Drift, but it was about this movement of like, here's the, here's the future of sales and marketing. Here's how this is going to work. And wink, wink, nod, nod. That's because we're building a product that's a chat bot that's going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. But we were able to create this movement of, of like fellow marketers who were like, yes, I believe in your way of doing things. Like, take me with you. And so we created these super fans through content by having a unique take on the state of marketing, having a clear, like we were chatting before this about Donald Miller's uh, mm-hmm. story brand. And it's like, there's a, there's a similar concept there where like we were the, you know, Yoda to the Luke Skywalker. We we're trying to say like, look, there's a new, there's a new way to do marketing. Like, are you frustrated with the way that you're, that you're doing marketing at your company? Do you feel like it's, it's not working or is it pissing off your customers? Well, like we understand we've been there too. So come read, come read this article. We'll show you the new way of doing things. And like, you know, it becomes this inch by inch game of like, we, you know, first we have people listen to our podcast, then they're listening, then they're on our email list, right? Then they're getting our content. Then they're showing up at our events. And we really took this approach to success through storytelling and brand building, as opposed to like, Oh well, our our thing works, you know, seven percent better than the competitor out there, and focusing <laughs> on features and benefits. And it seems like you were much more focused on, you know, using the word you said, you're much more focused on like the movement behind what you were doing, and not even necessarily, obviously, like you said, wink, wink, nod, nod. Our our product is coming, and it's it's going to support everything that we're saying. But it, it's unique in the aspect of we're not trying to sell you up front. We're trying to get you involved with our way of thinking because it's unique to the market and something different and something that you've never heard before. And I think that's even just like in, you know, straight product marketing, not even just like, you know, content marketing. The whole point is to, you know, show an audience what's unique about your product. And it's interesting when you pivot and here's what's unique about our business as a whole and our strategy. And we're also letting you kind of peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of the way we think because it's different than the way you're thinking. And let me like show you the path forward. And totally. And and one of the ways that we did that was that David, the CEO and I started a podcast called Seeking Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the podcast was initially started because when we were still months away from launch, we were trying to create content for David to build up the brand of the company through the CEO and the founders, which is a strategy mm. that, I, that I really believe in. But like what ended up happening was, so so here's a story. So I, I wanted to create all this content, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know anything, <laughs> right? Like most marketers, <laughs> which is okay. It's not a knock. It's mm-hmm. like, He's the CEO. He's the expert. I don't know enough about this world yet. Mm-hmm. I got to like, I want to ghostwrite for him, but I can't possibly do it. And so I found this trick, which is like, oh, well, through podcasting, I have all the podcast gear. And so I brought in my like Zoom H4N recorder and, and some mm-hmm. and some mics. And and I said like, look, hey, I'm going to book 30 minutes on your calendar. I'm going to interview you on these. You had this You had this tweet that really pissed people off. Can I interview you about that tweet so then I can turn it into an article for you? Because like this would be a great article and I know it will blow up, but you don't have Mm -hmm. time to write it because you're the CEO. So we sit down, I start interviewing. Oh no, he initially did it by himself. I was like, Hey, go in a room and just, just talk about this topic. And it was terrible because it's hard (laughs) to just like, you know, talk to yourself. Unless you're like one of us who's done like a thousand podcast episodes, like it's hard to talk to yourself. Right. And so, (laughs) so he's like, this is not going to work. This is super uncomfortable. So he's like, why don't you come in and just interview me? And so I start interviewing him, but it morphs into like, 
next question, it actually becomes a conversation. And so we're like, huh, there's something here. Like we kind of have this, and I initially didn't want to be involved in it because it's like, I wanted it to be about him and the CEO and like, who mm-hmm. am I? You know, like I wouldn't want me, t- I wouldn't want some like random, you know, intern, not that I was an intern, <laughs> but like associated with this like well-known CEO's sure. brand, but it worked. It really worked really well. We're like, we kind of had these two different perspectives as like one person who's kind of, you know, a proven CEO and then other person on the other spectrum of their career, me trying to like work my way up. And we talked mm-hmm. about, and so we talked about like books we were reading, you know, lessons we were learning, like he was giving me wisdom. But then we were also talking about like how we were building the company and what was happening inside the company as we were building. And none of those things had anything to do with marketing, but like the combination of that point of view that we talked about before with like, you know, creating this mission, but then also mm-hmm. sharing kind of our story as we're doing it and sharing who we are and then almost becoming like the faces of the brand. Mm-hmm. It was such a great approach to build a B2B brand that was like, look, I just think that the way that B2B, almost any company, but unless it's super transactional B2C, when you're selling to a company, things that matter more are like trust, authority, who else you work with, who you partner with. And so like we were able to to show people all that through our content. And so at a time when maybe the product and the market were unproven, we were able to earn trust and credibility through our content. And that was strictly through through the podcast that we were able to do that. And I feel like it's very much about relationship building. Do you think that podcast was kind of the jumping off point where people started to really resonate? Oh, um, it was it was insane. I there's this is a ridiculous <laughs> story. It's like embarrasses me to tell it because it's so dorky, but <laughs> so our office was in Boston in this in the Copley Square Mall. It's like this really fancy mall. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot of stores and and restaurants and lunch, good lunch spots, so it's really crowded. One day Dave and I, we'd always go for walks during our one-on-one and we were going for a walk and we'd go around the mall and outside and get a coffee. We would go outside and at least once a week, somebody would be like, DC, DG, like they would shout us out, which is like, wait, what? <laughs> we do a podcast for a business about marketing. Like this is not real celebrity. Like what? Like, but that was when it was like, holy shit, there's something <laughs> bigger here than like, mm-hmm. than generating MQLs and generating leads mm-hmm. for the marketing team. And so it was like the combination of those two things that allowed us to create a really special business. How did you gain traction? I mean, the the podcast market, first off, mm-hmm. you're going into a competitive market where you got like people like Intercom and HubSpot and all these other people that are going after the same customer that you are. And a lot of them, you know, have content machines that they're pumping out, like especially some of the larger people in the space. But how were you able to gain any sort of level of traction? Was it emailing the list like how did you guys sort of get going because you're never going to believe this one you're never going to believe one of the jokes right now on the coronavirus is like everybody has a podcast like (laughs) don't create a podcast we don't want any more podcasts the market is still flooded you guys obviously did it right and that that podcast is still going strong like how how did you do it it has to be good (laughs) like (laughs) true surprise shocker like we created we talked at a level we we had we had good chemistry we talked about rel- mm-hmm. we talked about relevant topics i think that like a huge part of content that doesn't get talked about is taste and it and gut it's a skill it's not just like 
go to Google Keyword Planner or, or Ahrefs mm-hmm. and like spit out a list of keywords and go crank that. Like it's a skill to be able to identify topics. And I think like David was, was very good at this. He, he, and he showed me the way to figure out those things. I think he was super active on social media and reading blogs and forums and like knew how to be like, oh, well, this is these types of people are interested in this type of thing. So like we should do an episode on this. And so it wasn't like we had an email list and sent it out or we did some sponsorship. It was really because, you know, we got 37 listeners on the first episode and <laughs> they were like, oh, this sound, this has potential. And those 37 listeners told, you know, each told two of their friends. And then, you know, we, we were lucky enough that like, look, David was a well-known person and had an audience of his own on Twitter. And so he had, you know, V, like well-known VCs or partner or friends and partners who who were amplifying that, but that was an advantage. And so when we launched the podcast, we brought on guests. Well, we didn't have guests for a while, but like we brought on guests down the road. But we also asked our investors and advisors and people with those networks to share to share the podcast, and like they spread the word for us. And when you spread the word about something that's good and valuable and relevant, then it's going to work. And and you know we it, it got to this point where people would leave us reviews and, and at the end of the podcast, Dave would say like, Hey, please leave a review, but make sure you, you, you know, leave, leave a six star review, which is just a joke. Apple only has five stars. <laughs> and people took on to that. And so like all the reviews for the podcasts were like six stars only six stars only. We, we like, you know, that would be like a slogan for like how we would, how we would market the show. I think like, it's just a good example that like good content does win and you can find, you know, there's a whole skill in like, and, and, and to, to Ralph's point, like, Great. I love it. Let, let there be let there be 10 million podcasts because I think the opportunity is always going to be to create the more interesting one. It's like when when there's a good TV show out today, people don't care if it's on Apple TV, if it's on Peacock, mm-hmm. if it's on Netflix, if it's on Hulu, you're going to go and find it where it is. And so I think like I believe in marketing and promotion more than anybody else. But when it comes to content, I just think that the secret to content is not you found some magic keyword that you ranked for, and I believe in SEO. It's it's entertain, it's education, it's it's entertainment, and that's the thing that I'm really passionate about when it comes to marketing. Is like, I don't, yeah, I don't care that like, let's go start a blog. I don't care that everybody has a blog because this is going to be our blog, and we're going to find the hook mm-hmm. for this blog, and we're going to find the angle for this blog, and we're going to either do it better or different than other people, or we're going to find a niche. And so I'm not just going to start a marketing blog. I'm going to start a marketing blog for single parents, right? I'm just Mm -hmm. making something, but like, that's the opportunity. And so I think there should, there needs to be more emphasis by marketers placed on understanding this type of thinking and creativity versus like always trying to find the next little hack or skill. Cause I'm okay if the technology industry continues to evolve without me as I don't pay attention to it because I feel like I've now learned the principles of marketing and, and how to, how to get attention from the right people and keep it. And that's like the, that's the timeless skill. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing 
his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Yeah, I, I think everything you say is is dead on. I mean, the, the content's got to be there. And it's amazing. Like, if you haven't listened to this podcast, I used to listen to this a while back. Now I'm remembering it. Like, <laughs> holy crap, I actually listened to this for a while because I was in War Room. Ryan said, well, the one podcast I listen to is the Seeking Wisdom podcast. And so I started watching it. It's still in my iTunes feed. I didn't realize that I didn't make the connection. Anyway, and all the six-star ratings, <laughs> like that's that's no kidding. Like it's really, really good. And I really enjoyed it. And now I'm going to be listening to it but, more. But it's also, it's also not, like it's, it's got to be resistant. It's not, and it's not, it's also not for everybody. It's not, sure. you know, you, you, I think people also like, people get get mixed in like, it's just so powerful to own a niche and it doesn't have to be a small one. You can have a very large and successful niche, but what is, what is your angle? I've been able to build traction with a new podcast, the B2B marketing leaders podcast, only because people didn't feel like there really was one podcast that was great at telling the stories of B2B marketing leaders. It's like, mm-hmm. right. you got to know that you got to have the hook. And I believe that that's true for whether you're starting a new podcast, whether you start, somebody will say, Hey, Dave, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about starting an email, a, a newsletter. Cool. Great. What's the hook? Mm-hmm. Ah, you know, once a week, I'm just not going to work, right? Like, what what's the what's the hook going to be? And I, I I don't think that that's I I know with your I know with your crowd, like digital marketer, perpetual traffic crowd, that is mm-hmm. that's a that's a big topic. But in in my world, in B two B marketing, for some reason, people people don't have that they don't have that skill set. They're 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 obsessed with the tools and the technology and the latest way to like mm-hmm. retarget your list when like whatever you can find an answer on stack overflow and find somebody else to do that. Like focus on storytelling, focus on finding the hook. I think you have to repel and attract at the same time Mm -hmm. and actually put yourself out there. Like, for example, we've got a new VP of operations and I said, well, we're, we have another podcast. I'm like, well, if you became a host of that or a co-host of that, you would actually be able to sort of build your own branch. Like, no, 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 no one would ever listen to me. Like I have a Russian accent, you know, I'm too harsh. I'm like, that's exactly why you should start a podcast mm-hmm. because you're individual, you're unique. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who comes on and does like a, a monthly sort of update here on what's working now has a Scottish Aussie accent. Mm-hmm. People love that. Mm-hmm. So some people hate it, but some people love it. And the way that you communicate how you are, it's like you're unique. If you can figure out that unique thing, there's not everyone's going to love you and that's fine. And you can create a very successful following with a smaller group of people. You don't have to be the rock for crying out loud, (laughs) you know, have like 7 million followers on Instagram. You can be very successful as a business owner and B2B by a smaller 
yeah, audience if, if, that's just highly focused and highly targeted. Especially if you're selling, if you have bigger, if you have bigger deals. I mean, what? This is why, like, the, the success of a podcast is not to me. It's not downloads because what if you're a B two B marketing agency and your average contract is fifty grand? Your sure. podcast gets a hundred downloads, and three of those people a quarter become clients. Right, mm-hmm. that's close to a million dollar a year business from a podcast that does a hundred downloads a month. Mm-hmm. Or, sure. what if through the podcast you get connected with somebody else? Like through my B two B marketing leaders podcast, one of the selfish reasons I do that is because it's a forty five minutes out of my day where I get to literally just interview smart marketing people <laughs> about how they do things. Mm-hmm. I get to put it out at content, but it also makes me better in, in my job as a as a marketing person too. There's just there's so many benefits. Yeah, for sure. Well. I mean, any listener to the show, like exactly what you're talking about, you've actually been listening to specifically what you're talking about here mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, this podcast is maybe bigger than 100 downloads, but the point is, is like it's very focused on a very specific thing. And as founder and CEO of Tier 11, mm-hmm. it's certainly helpful for for me. You know, whenever Ryan comes on and digital marketers, obviously it's helpful there. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's it's living proof. One of my questions is, like, how do you separate out the brand, the company, and the individual? So, for example, like when Ryan Dice first started, it was Ryan Dice. Mm-hmm. And now he's sort of transitioned out. Now he's digital marketer. He's done a really good job of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like Amanda and a lot of the other smart people have been on the show have sort of transitioned out. So it's not like a one-man show, mm-hmm. but he's representative of digital marketer scalable. Some CEOs might be concerned about that. And obviously, David wasn't. It sounds like in your current situation, that's not the case either. How do you safeguard against that? What's the pros and cons Mm -hmm. of of that? I mean, in some cases, it doesn't matter unless you think the CEO is going to (laughs) leave. And so, because you don't have to- Probably should be the founder, right? You don't have to do what- (laughs) most cases. Like Ryan chose to do that, but you don't have to. There's, It's not like there was no risk. It was just like, okay, maybe we shift to do that. And you know, I think he's still- there's multiple people inside of the the company now. And I think ultimately over time, it it evolves to be multiple people inside of the company, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it starts with the founder, but I think at Drift Drift specifically, like we created a whole, there's five or six people that were like public faces within the B2B marketing community Mm -hmm. on on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And the same thing is true now at Privy, for example, where like the way that we do social media updates is through Ben, who's the CEO and the founder, myself and Dan, who's on the marketing team and Connor, who's on the marketing team and Lauren. So like, I like the strategy of using multiple people inside of the company to be the faces of the brand and then using like the company properties, like the company LinkedIn page, the company Twitter page, for example, and treat them like the news ticker for the brand where like they might be putting out the like, we're hiring or here's an announcement or who's whatever, but like... The new announce, the new like product launch news is coming from Ben on on Twitter and and coming mm-hmm. from Dan on Twitter. I think like people want to work with people, and the more that you can make people like real people, the faces of the company become a part of your brand. I think it, it works really it, it works really well. It doesn't always work. Like there's people who don't want to do it, and there's people who aren't great at it, and that, that's okay. But if you can find a couple people inside of the company that can be, you know, faces of your brand outside of your logo, it it, it works really well. I think no matter no matter what you're selling. 
Mm. I feel like it's it's really interesting. It's almost like an internal influencer strategy, for lack of a better term. You're building influencers within your own brand to then go out and market the product. You know, a really interesting thing is like once you, you know, once David became a social media personality, it's like he's all of a sudden a social media influencer, but in the B2B space. When you think about social media influencers, you think of some of the guests that have been on this show in the past, let me, you know, Mari Smith or, you know, Frank Kern or like in a bigger way, like The Rock, like we mentioned before. You don't really think about it in the B2B space quite as much, but the same principles apply. People get attached to the story of the founder, the understanding that, all right, this guy is a subject matter expert. And oh, by the way, I just so happen to run a company that does X, Y, and Z. But it's like a different way of thinking about social yeah, media I, influencers. I don't even think of it. I don't even, not even to be corny, but like, I don't think of it as it's not a, to me, the reason that it works is not a B2B or B2C or social influencer thing. It's like, look, in all of our lives, whatever the things that we're working on or doing, we tend to go and follow those people on social media. That is right. true for like, you know, I'm following toddler parenting accounts on Instagram because I have two little kids. I'm also following golf accounts. I'm also following marketing accounts, right? That has nothing to do with B2B, B2C. That's just like a behavior thing that we do as people. And so the reason that it works is because especially in tech savvy or segments like B2B marketing or like your audience, those people are even more likely to... So if I am a marketing person at a SaaS company who's interested in marketing... I'm probably going to follow David Cancel on Twitter if he's sharing interesting things about marketing. Now we got you hooked. And so like I think that to me is like the that's the opt-in that doesn't get credit in marketing which is like oh people that follow him on Twitter or LinkedIn have now just essentially opted in to see content about drift. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now people are like well how do you measure that? Well that's a question that you ask when you don't have good content, right? Because that's a question. It's not like David is posting like a landing page and it's not like he's tweeting out a link to a landing page and we're measuring how many people fell to form on the landing page. It's something that compounds over time. So he's mm-hmm. not, he's not often tweeting about drift. He's tweeting about a book that he read or, you know, like my whole two years ago, I made a decision on to, to stop promoting like the company that I'm working at so much on Twitter on LinkedIn and just talk about marketing. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's insane how much better that is because mm-hmm. people would like, Oh, here comes Dave with a LinkedIn post promoting another drift webinar. That's not mm-hmm. what people want. They want mm-hmm. three right. tips to write better copy. They want marketing tips. They want, you know, f- random jokes about parenting or stuff like that. Right. And so that's what worked to build a following on social media. And so he, it's not even that he was a, I guess he was an influencer, but the strategy <laughs> was not to become an influencer. It's like, look, anybody can go direct to consumer today because all of your potential customers are going to be online in some form or another. Maybe you don't think in your segment people are on Twitter. Twitter. Well, in the industry that I work, B2B SaaS, a lot of people are on Twitter. And so that makes it a great channel. Maybe that's mm-hmm. email. Maybe that's YouTube. Maybe that's podcasting. It's different for every business, right? Really? I mean, I think it, it comes back to just building building a community and the community comes when the value is provided. And I think when yeah. people can get that you know, value up front, then you start to build a community around it. And I think it's just, you know, based on what you were saying, people don't like really being sold to and they could, you know, smell it coming from a mile away, which is exactly why, you know, the, you know, within Facebook communities and at least the communities that 
DM runs, we, we don't post any promotions within our communities because it's about creating value for the customer and letting them feed off each other and learn from each other so that they can then go out and implement without being bombarded with different kinds of, you know, landing pages, sales pages, yeah. products. And, it, and if you, it's a good point about the community piece, because like, if you can be patient and build a real community, the rewards from that are insane. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like digital marketers just able to learn what courses and content to create through the audience and then literally <laughs> go sell them the thing that they asked for. Like yeah. <laughs> that's what you want to be able to do in business. And that's the power of having an audience, right? And like, mm-hmm. even if you don't have an audience today, Twitter has an audience, LinkedIn has an audience, mm-hmm. podcasting has an audience. So you can go and find who those people are in your industry. And that that would be like, that'd be the first thing that I would do in an, at any industry, any product is like, to build a public facing brand on social media for the face of that company. I would first go and look at who are the other companies in the space? What are the interesting, like what are the accounts that have a lot of followers or interest in the space? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. this blog is really influential. Okay, follow them. Cause that's how you start to get a sense of like what content works in that niche. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is the part that doesn't get enough credit is like knowing how, knowing what people want and giving it to them. It's like anybody can just write, and I mentioned this before, but like anybody can write a a list of topics from SEO, right? Mm -hmm. It's a skill to be able to follow people in a niche and be like, ooh, I bet this type of offer would work. Okay, let's go try it. Like that's the thing. And Gong, G-O-N-G is a great Mm -hmm. example of that in the B2B space where it's clear that they know their audience. And so they are not writing average blog posts because they know that your average salesperson is not going to just stop and read a blog post in the middle of the day. And so what they're doing, they're creating like, I'm making this up, but like the the sales rep salary benchmark report. Like that's something Mm -hmm. that every sales rep is going to go download because they're like, I want to know if I'm getting paid or not. And so that's a skill. Like focus more on that. Like the art of creating what people want by being curious, by seeing trends, by able to just be creative. That that's the magic in marketing. Yeah. For sure. I think uh, I run a group with a bunch of other agency owners and myself included. And I think this is sort of self-describing a lot of their struggles when it comes to being the face of the brand Mm -hmm. and doing the marketing and all the things subject matter expert. How far do you go on the personal side? Where do you sort of draw the line? Like where, Mm -hmm. how did you recommend or what did you sort of advise David in this case? Like how far do you go down that rabbit hole on the, on the private side? Cause some people don't want to show pictures of their kids and you know, like them going to Thanksgiving day dinner or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Like, where do you sort of draw that line? So you still, you know, you're giving enough visibility, you're giving enough transparency so that people obviously make the connection, but not too far so that it's inappropriate. How do you sort of advise? So I, th- I think you don't have to go that far because I think that yes, it creates a human connection when you know you do when they see your kids or they see you on the weekend. But ultimately, people are selfish and they're there for themselves. And so, what's always going to win is expertise. And so, like you could you could only exclusively share if you're a founder in a company in the in the agency space you could be really successful by not giving a glimpse into your personal life at all. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to share pictures, right? But mm-hmm. you could say like, it, it's about like saying something that's not just about sales every now and then. But I think that I would say at least 80% of the content should be focused on on that niche. Now, if you're someone who has something that's super interesting, like let's say you're a race car driver on the weekends, then it would be silly to like not, you know, supplement your, your social media strategy with that. But like the strategy is not like 
like nobody nobody wants to see me riding a freaking skateboard around my neighborhood on a Sunday. That's not why they're following me, right? They they, <laughs> they want to learn about marketing, and so like maybe every now and then you mix in there. But I've seen I've seen a lot of CEOs of founders make the mistake of like thinking that oh that's what that's what it is to build a brand is to like share pictures of like my kid's soccer game or like an omelet that I ate or like here's me working late at night. Right. And it's like no no they care about themselves, and so your goal is to be the expert, and so your goal is to be the account that they follow to become smarter at the thing that they want to be smarter at. And so, mm-hmm. wow, I want to be better at like, my whole thing is like, Oh, I want to be better at marketing. So I follow Dave Gerhardt on Twitter and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why it's not, it's not about me. It's about, it's about them. I think that that's, that's the strategy or you better be like actually funny in real life to, <laughs> to, to do that type of stuff. Right. But I also think like Instagram is not the place for that for most, for most like founders that we're talking about. It's way different in the consumer space. Like if you are the, founder of a, of a, you know, lifestyle fitness brand, then like, yes, you probably got to like, that's got to be your life and you got to show in the kitchen and, Mm -hmm. you know, here's how I eat when I'm busy and all that type of stuff. In the context of B2B expertise is the way to go. Got it. Yeah. That that's really helpful. Intentional uh, authenticity. uh, (laughs) Intentional authenticity. Yes. We hit upon that as well. (laughs) And in most of these cases, they're setting up their own sort of business profiles separate than their personal profiles on a lot of social channels. Or is it I hate that they kind of merge the two together or no? no? Like what's your recommendation? I would I would I think would have one. And then like if you don't want to have your Instagram account, like my make your Instagram account private. Like my Instagram account is private for that example. That's because like I treat Twitter and LinkedIn as those channels. Like I just think it's too hard to be two separate. It's too hard for that person to be, they can't even keep up with what they're not going to do one social media account. Right. And so you're going to ask them to have a, a personal <laughs> one and a business one yeah. because also then like when you have the business account, you're like, Oh, hold on. This is my business account. And you know, and you're like, I just, just keep, keep them separate. Also yeah. don't try to be don't try to be the person like if you've never done it before don't be like all right so i'm going to build my brand as a founder i'm going to be on instagram i'm going to be on youtube i'm going to have a newsletter i'm going to have twitter i'm going to have linkedin just start with one like get in the get in the game on twitter start to focus there use twitter to like twitter's my favorite because it's the one it's a channel where you can get the quickest feedback on what's working or not and there's mm-hmm. no like tax to doing it if you send out a tweet and it's not interesting it's just it's just gone <laughs> but you can get right. quick feedback on something now you've got feedback on twitter you start to understand what what content works on twitter okay now i feel like ooh, i'm going to go take this similar content i'm going to replicate this on linkedin okay now i see what's working on linkedin maybe now that i got twitter and linkedin cranking I'm going to take those things and I'm going to start a newsletter that's roughly based off of these topics. That's how I would I would build on it. Did you know companies that blog consistently receive 67% more leads than those that don't? Now, that feels obvious, right, when you hear it, but it's still a really surprising statistic. Consistent blogging is so important to growing a business, but who has the time to research keywords, come up with topics, write content? It's a nightmare. BKA content a content writing agency with 10 years of experience offers monthly SEO blog writing service where they'll do it all for you. All of your monthly blog posts delivered directly to your inbox, 100% ready to publish. Go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. If you're not A-B testing on your site and doing optimization experiments, you're leaving serious money on the table. Not only can it keep your business from growing, it gives your competition an edge over you. 
Luckily, our friends at Conversion Fanatics have run thousands of conversion rate optimization experiments every year for clients like Clorox, Burt's Bees, Dr. Axe, Magnolia, ClickFunnels, and many more. They optimize your site for you so you can get more customers, scale your traffic faster, and see more profit to your bottom line. If you're interested in how you can optimize your website, you can get their number one Amazon bestseller for free by going to conversionfanatics.com forward slash free book. That's conversionfanatics.com forward slash F-R-E-E-B-O-O-K. Go download it today so you can learn how to double your customers, sales, and profits with A-B testing. And your recommendation as far as time goes, CEOs and founders are typically pretty busy. Let, let me tell you something. CEOs and founders are, are the busiest people that I know, but they're also the people who are on their damn phones more than any people, anybody else that I know. And so if you can be, you can make three minutes to be on your phone, you can, you can also make three minutes to send out something on social media. I think the time, time one is an excuse to me because I, or, or it's an education problem because they don't know what to share. The time one is irrelevant because if you're a founder, the stuff you should be sharing is like, the natural thoughts that you're having about the business that you would text your co-founder or write an email to your company about, and mm. you're just sharing them in a different format. And so if you're the founder of a sales company, I don't, I can't think of what to share on social media. I'd be more concerned about your company then. Cause that to me means you have no in, in, in ideas, but the reason that I believe the CEO should be good at social media is because the CEO is the one who is in one day might meet with a customer, meet with a, an employee, meet with a partner, meet with a, an investor. You should be at the heart of the industry of the landscape. And now mm -hmm. if you've also been on Twitter yourself, seeing what content works, you're going to just you know, okay, pull out your phone and try to write some pithy comment about like why, you know, or it doesn't even have to be pithy. It could be like, here, here would be a good tweet. The best ratio for hiring sales reps to marketers is three to one in a company less than 10 million. Any mm -hmm. CEO could come up with that thought. That would be a tweet that would perform well because people like that benchmark. It's, it's, it's valuable information in the, in the sales world. So it's like, it's more about sharing what you're doing than mm -hmm. it is about like, I got to make time. Now, as you grow, ideally you have a marketing team who's kind of supplementing some of that stuff. And so if you've been, ha if you have a podcast, well now guess what? We have an hour long interview every week that we have content to pull from. And so I'd be having, you know, if you don't have a marketing team, you could, you could ha hire an intern to do this. If you don't have an intern, you could hire a contractor. If you don't have a contractor, you could find someone Upwork or Fiverr, but have somebody take content from your podcast, chop it up into clips for social media. So now maybe one out of every three days, you mix in a clip with some something about that you said, not not to get not to be like now go subscribe to my podcast, but just to be like, oh, I don't ever hear this guy talk. Here's an interesting thirty second clip of him ranting about something, or hey, I've never heard this founder talk, and here she is in a two minute interview. Huh? Okay, cool. That's how you're going to build trust and credibility. And so, like, you have the leverage between social media and your podcast to there should be enough content you can create without having to create more time in the day. And it, it sounds like, like your recommendation, it's not something, oh, I think separately. Now I have to go post on social media. Right. It's like, well, what did you do today? And it's like a stream of consciousness from your normal activities. Oftentimes, yeah. as long as it's, you know, informational and helpful and useful or, or, is a natural. If you just had a great meeting with a partner about some technology partnership that you're building and you're like, oh, wow, the, the future of this industry is blah, right? Like 
go and pull out mm. your phone and share that on Twitter. Like you don't have to be like, I just had a, had a meeting, but that stuff also works too. Is like, Hey, I just had a meeting with, you know, like if I was an agency founder, I'd be like, I just had a great chat with, you know, Ralph Burns this morning about the future of blah, 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 blah. That stuff is all relevant. That's not promoting your company. It's about like, you got to focus on, it comes back on thinking about why do you, why are you on social media or what is the one or two topics that you want to be known for? And if you can narrow that down to, let's say like, entrepreneurship and sales, then you have guardrails for like what type of content you should be sharing. I think that is a huge stumbling block. Wouldn't you agree, Amanda? Like, what do I think of? And I think Dave gave a ton of really helpful tips there. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it, it gets easier for your team moving forward. Cause like you said, the original point of your podcast at Drift was originally so that you could nail down his voice, right? And right. content. And I feel like as you start to talk more on the podcast and then you hire a contractor, you hire, you know, you know, a freelancer or someone who's starting to pull stuff from the podcast, it becomes easier for not only the team to start producing, but also for, you know, an executive to start producing that content as well. Cause the team can just feed them their own yeah. quotes back to them <laughs> that they were, have already. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Like once you can be active on social media, like what really was such a cheat code for me from a content perspective is because David was so active on Twitter and had so many followers, I wouldn't even prep for our podcast. I just would wait for him to say something on Twitter <laughs> and I would then... <laughs> Like if, if we were doing, there's a show. Yeah. If we but, were doing a podcast like this afternoon, I'd go look at it and, and I would, I like go to his Twitter feed and be like, oh, or sometimes you just know, cause you, you follow each other on Twitter. And so I'd be like, oh wow, he sent this tweet that really, he said how he never hires people with MBAs. Oh, that's going to really piss people off. And it lit up on Twitter. <laughs> and so guess what we're talking about on the podcast today? Because then like, I've already foolproof that idea now to, to what you're just talking about, like with creating more content. Now we've just done then a 45 minute yep. podcast episode on that topic. Now I can outsource that content because now somebody's not trying to ghostwrite in a voice they've never heard. I've yep. now just taken basically a tweet and now gotten 1500 words that can be chopped up and written into two blog posts, ghostwritten as that person because it's their actual word. That's not like I got to try to mimic Dave's style. And I think, I think that that is such an underrated thing. That's why like it, it's not, it's not vain to want to build an audience on social media if you're a founder because mm -hmm. it can literally be a cheat code to like creating the right content for your business down the road. Exactly. Marketing is just a game of feedback. And then if you have an audience on social media, you can get feedback quicker as opposed right. to like having to wait. Having a big email list is an advantage. It's the same reason. Having an email list is an advantage because if you have an email list, you're going to get feedback right away. And historically, Absolutely. we find that's at Digital Marketer, we find that's like, that's how we build all of our newsletters every week is me and the people who are writing the newsletter will scroll through LinkedIn and which, which LinkedIn post did people blow up on Ryan's feed exactly. based on a quote that he said, oh, okay, that's the topic that we're focusing on this week in the newsletter, because we can see already it's instant, instant feedback based on the yeah. reactions that founders are getting to their inner monologue essentially and, and on, on, <laughs> on top on top of that like you mentioned that people love the tools and the tactics and stuff on this on this show like mm -hmm. one thing that i keep forgetting that works ridiculously well is to go back and replay the hits on social media i like mm -hmm. i will tweet something and it will get you know not whatever a lot is like a couple a hundred a couple hundred retweets right and that tweet will disappear forever and i'll be like shoot but if you go to tw if you go to advanced Twitter search, so, so if you go to just like Google Twitter mm. advanced search, 
then you can go and filter. You can filter tweets from your account or a founder's account or, or somebody in your industry. You can even use this to like hijack content ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Go to the founder of another company in your industry and put in her Twitter. And then you can filter by tweets that have the most retweets or most likes. So now I got a list of all of the tweets that have, I got a list of your most popular tweets. Okay, I already know this content was popular. I can go and create that. And so that's one way to use it competitively or like, or to get content ideas. But for me, every now and then, like if I don't have any, if I'm not on my game, I don't have anything witty to say, I should do this more. I go and find things that were popular in the past and I repost them. And guess what happens? They're popular again. It's like the same movie can be on TV multiple times, especially in the like, in like the ephemeral world of, of social media. Yes. So, so, so go, don't forget to do that. Like go and go and re- replay the hits. It, it, it works ridiculously well. I do that on Twitter a lot. I'll go look at tweets that were popular and then I'll post them on LinkedIn and they're <laughs> on LinkedIn and it, it always works it's like they're that's different awesome. audiences but it always works that's awesome it's like you know you can watch goodwill hunting you know as many times yep. <laughs> as you want a hundred times that's, and you're always gonna like still great you're always still gonna yep. you're always gonna giggle and get a little goosebumps when he bangs on the on the window and does the you know uh, how about them <laughs> apples seem it's always gonna happen you're always gonna cry when 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 they hug we you know when matt damon and and robin williams hug you're always robin gonna williams cry too. so right yeah, it doesn't matter. Figured I'd throw that one in here because you're, you know, you're a Northeast guy. So I figured you'd throw that one. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, one of the things that last thing I wanted to ask you is part of this, and it, this sort of sparked on the conversation here, is the founder's story. Like you said that was one of the things that really helped you guys really gain some traction with Drift. How much do you refer back to that? Is that sort of just an initial thing that you start off with and then yeah. you keep referring to it? Like how do you do it? Because I think that's a really mm-hmm. interesting way of sort of getting started because everyone's origination story I always find is fascinating mm-hmm. and it's always original. So how do you, what do you I think t- to me, it's, it's something that evolves, for example, like, right, like as an example, Ben, who's a found, who's a CEO of Privy, he's now been the CEO of Privy for a decade and there's 500,000 people that use Privy. And so now the way that I would use his founder story is I would use those ingredients as proof and 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 like that's his backstory for like why you should listen to him right but like at the beginning of the company you didn't have that and so maybe it was more about his mom was a small business owner and so he had this passion for small business and like that's what you you know you, i think it's it's never there's no recipe for it for me it's more about like what what ingredients do i have to tell this story as it's relevant at this time. And so in the example of David, we, we leaned heavily on, look, we don't have 10,000 customers yet, but that's because what we're building is super special. And it's built by these two guys who have 20 years of experience building sales and marketing products, including, oh, have you heard of that company HubSpot? Oh yes, we have. They built a product there, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. And so like, I think it's it can be used at all at at all different at all different stages, right? Like I see, uh, hey, you're the founder of a CBD uh, brand, and you started, you know, or here's a good a real a actual real story. Hint Hint Water, the the woman who founded Hint Water was like th- their story that they tell as a brand is like she's a busy uh, a busy mom of three kids, wanted to give her kids something like f- tasty other than water, but nothing else with he- was healthy, and so she developed Hint Water. Fantastic example of using the founder story. Sh- Shopify, the, the the founders of Shopify. Do you know how Shopify got started? Those two guys, developers, they were trying to sell snowboards online. There was no easy way to do it. And so they 
classic developer. This is I don't have these skills, but they just they built a freaking product and they're like, we'll 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 code it ourselves, and and that's how they built Shopify. And so like they they should lean into that story in the early days of that company. Like this problem didn't exist, and so we solved it, and therefore we are credible. You should trust us, and I think that's that goes a long way in in marketing. No, that those are those are great. I just want to make sure we got that in there because it's it's a touchstone that you can always sort of refer back to, and especially if you're you're listening to this episode and like, well, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. I'm the CEO and founder. It might be maybe a good place to start, you know, right where we're just discussed. At least that, that also humanizes it. But then, like the hint, water story is a tremendous story. It relates directly back to the product mm-hmm. itself. Obviously, in the case of uh, of drift, it's like these are marketing guys. Like with a lot of marketing experience, yeah, and you've got this other company which you probably have heard of, and that's the reason why we kind of went and did this. I'll give you, I'll give you one, so, I'll give you one last example. The Eric, Eric, the founder of Zoom, he was a VP of engineering at Webex before Zoom, and Webex got acquired for like two billion dollars, right? I don't know if this is true, but let's, you know, we'll make it up for the sake of this discussion. Sure. I bet you they used that as a proof point when they were launching Zoom. Right? Like, <laughs> probably. Hey, we're building a new web conferencing system. It's not founded by Dave Gerhardt, some random marketing person. Nope, it's founded by Eric, who is the VP of uh, engineering at, at WebEx and built this massive two point <laughs> whatever billion solution. Therefore, Zoom is legit, is credible. It's like, that, that's always going to work in addition yep. to the features and benefits stuff. No, that's that's brilliant. That's that's good stuff there. Well, this has been uh, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on and mm-hmm. dropping some serious knowledge bombs. If you're a founder or CEO or somebody rolls up to a founder and CEO or CMO, especially or doing marketing, like this is an angle that's really different. And I mean, I think you do need the right type of personality there. But chances are, this is a solution that you can absolutely do, and it's it's certainly something that I believe in a lot. And obviously, you've been super successful doing it. Congratulations on all the success. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and the stuff that you're doing, where where do we send them? Yeah, just follow me on, on Twitter at, at Dave Gearhart. I tweet a lot. I, I promise that you won't miss anything that I do if you follow me on Twitter. <laughs> cool. And for all the resources, we'll obviously drop all these in the show notes. Head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 296. Grab all the goodies over there. Dave Gerhardt, thanks for bringing it to Perpetual Traffic, giving us a lot of food for thought, myself included. <laughs> I think I'm having my director of marketing listen to this episode. <laughs> Appreciate having you come on. Until next week, everybody, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.